Welcome to Unprofessional and Unprepared, our lighthearted weekly conversation about sports, life, fatherhood, and whatever else comes up with no script and no preparation. I'm your host, Jason Gerber, and this week we talk the red-hot Cleveland Cavaliers, investing in highlight reels, and the generation-defining events of 1991. I'm joined again tonight by two of the best ever. Smiling Chuck Rambaldo is here. Hey, Gerbs. How you doing, Chucky? I'm great, buddy. How are you? I'm good, man. Phil Denko is here to help us out tonight and to celebrate his 44th birthday. Happy birthday, hey, Denko. Happy birthday, hey, Phil. Hey, thanks, guys. I could not think of a better way to spend my 44th birthday. I'm, I'm not kidding. This is great. Sad. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> I can think of other ways, but you're just going to cut them out anyway. <laughs> Chucky, let's start with you tonight. February 11th, 2021 was the International Day of Women and Girls in Science. On that day, the U.S. Postal Service issued a new forever stamp to honor Qian Shang Wu, a Chinese-American woman. Wu performed experiments that tested the fundamental laws of physics. She won many honors and awards including the National Medal of Science in 1975, the inaugural Wolf Prize in Physics in 1978, probably the coolest award in all of physics. In 1949, she verified Enrico Fermi's theory of beta decay, correcting the discrepancies between the theory and previous inaccurate experimental results, developing a universal version of his theory for the first time. Chuck, where does Wu rank among your favorite nuclear physicists? Number two. Two probably. Oh wow! Two. All right. Yeah, I think she's <laughs> That's an impressive two resume to not make the top of the list. Who's your favorite? Can't really talk about it. It's, it's at a level of clearance I can't share with anybody, so <laughs> I can't mention his name. But yeah, I'm glad that she uh, righted Enrico Palazzo's wrongs. Was it? Was it <laughs> the guy from Na- the Empire from Naked Gun? It was. Yeah. It yeah. was. <laughs> Why don't we move into our first segment and we will stay at home and start with our beloved Cleveland Cavaliers, who are currently on a win streak. Before you get too excited, the current win streak is three games. It followed a 10-game losing streak where nine of the losses were by double digits. But they've won three in a row. They beat the Sixers in overtime last night. In the last 10 games, part of the turnaround has been the play of Jared Allen, who was one of the guys from the, the trade for Harden to the Nets. And last 10 games, he's had an average of 18 points, 11 rebounds, and he's shooting 65% from the floor, which is really good. Now, the Cavs are currently 13-21 and 21 with 38 games left to play this year. They're only three games out of the playoffs, and they're only nine games out of the first seed in the East. <laughs> Phil, why is it okay for me to be irrationally confident again about the Cavs' chances to make the playoffs, and maybe even as the one seed in the East? Well, I was about to say, I think you can be irrationally confident that perhaps they can climb into the last seed or two in the East, because based on what you just told me, they're only, they're only three games out of that, despite being seven games or eight games under 500. Yeah. Um, that's pretty good. I, no way are they climbing into the top few seeds in the East. Uh, oh, you're such a hater. Just keeping it real here. Uh, Jared, Jared Allen looks good. The young guards look good, but uh, 38 games left to go. You know, they put a good run here together. Maybe they're squarely in the last uh, the last few slots for the playoffs and probably entering the playoffs with a losing record, but I guess that happens every year nowadays. I think for sure there is a team or maybe two 
or maybe three from the East who will get into the playoffs with losing records. Chuck, what yeah. does that tell you about the East? It is a powerhouse for the NBA. It's exciting <laughs> basketball. Okay, let's move on from the Cavs. Best of luck to them to keep this streak going <laughs> and talk some more Cleveland Indians baseball. Last week, we talked about the starting rotation some. We talked about the outfield. Let's talk a little infield and defense today. Projected starters going around the horn in the infield. Third base is going to be Jose Ramirez. Short stop, Andres Jimenez. Second base will be Cesar Hernandez. First base, Josh Naylor. Catcher, Roberto Perez. We know what we get at the plate from a good number of those guys. Ramirez is going to bat something between 280 and 300. He'll hit for some power. Uh, Hernandez has been about a career 290 hitter. Perez doesn't hit much, but he'll play good defense. The guys that are question marks, I think Jimenez is the shortstop that they got in the Lindor trade from the Mets. He's only had one season in the bigs. He hit about 260. Josh Naylor is a mystery they might get some innings from Bobby Bradley at first base as well. Phil, what do you think we can expect from Jimenez, Naylor, Bradley, anybody else that might be mixing into that infield and, and trying to produce some offense? Well, let's start at shortstop. I think with Jimenez, he's going to man that position for his defensive skill set, and that's what we can expect from him on the offensive side of the ball. <laughs> like, I, you know, I, I, I think that's probably what's going to happen, unfortunately. You're, I would imagine, and, and who knows, but I would imagine he'll be the weakest offensive threat around that infield you just rattled off. Uh, first base, we've got two guys with – very little to no major league experience. Naylor, we saw up in the bigs the end of last year, again, a very short year, uh, you know, showed some promise, but, you know, I don't know. So, and, and then Bobby Bradley is touted as probably our best power coming out of the minor leagues. I read somewhere yesterday that he just lost 28 pounds, 30 pounds. I was like, wait a minute. Why did he do that for a power hitter? Um, <laughs> but he, he's feeling a lot better and healthy, but it, it, to me, it seemed like, all right, this guy's going to feel good running the bases, but he's never going to, he's never going to drive the ball out of the stadium. Now. I, don't, I don't know. I think between those two guys, very young potential talent, you know, maybe, maybe you get one of them to hit 250 to 265 and 25 home runs. And that's pretty good production out of the first base. If we could get it, this is basically going to be either one of their first full season in the big leagues. And that's a big, big ask. Chuck, what do you think about the double play turn of Jimenez and Hernandez up the middle? I saw some of it today and I know like Jimenez uh, threw a guy out at home and he was two for two. So don't count him out. I know it's the first game of, of spring training, but <laughs> did you, did you watch a spring training uh, game? Today? I, I did see a little bit of spring training. I'm, I don't know what I'm supposed to prepare for, for tonight. So I had to do a little bit of everything. It's the, the whole fun is not preparing. Yeah. You're not supposed to do anything. You're doing it. In fact, you're doing it entirely wrong. Where, where are you? watching spring training games i just i googled it and found like some clips and stuff so i watched oh, okay it's mlb i don't want to watch it in real time it's sunday oh, I, had, I had other things to do but yes i watched a little when i say i watch a little bit how about i watch some clips and highlights of it i, I think they're solid defensively like like phil's saying but uh, my biggest worry is what everybody's is where are they manufacturing runs right so can can we trade can we package andre drummond and kevin love for a power hitter to play on the corner maybe <laughs> can we do that not with love's contract that, I don't that's think. true yeah that's true. That's true. But I think defensively, they're fine. They'll always be fine. They've been stockpiling yeah. middle infielders for like the past five to seven to 10 years. And I think they'll do great there. But it's just, as I've said for a couple of weeks, I'm just so worried, like where are runs coming from in that lineup. And that's actually my, my next question, Chuck, was that last year's team, according to fan graphs, was the sixth ranked defense in all of baseball. So they played really, really good defense last year. 
Uh, how important do you think it is that they stay at that level this year? More important than last year, right? You got you have to keep games as close as humanly possible. You can't boot the ball around, no hot soup, nothing like that. You got to play solid D uh, and give up only no no extra outs, right? So if they stay in that five to eight range defensively, maybe you steal a few games just because of that, right? Phil, how do you think our outfield is going to impact that overall defensive ranking actually on the defensive side our our outfield might be all right for what they lack in offensive production if you're if you end up with the guys that you rattled off last week what's his name ends up in right field uh zimmer he's a good defensive outfielder very good yeah you know so at least he was three years ago when we last saw him play yeah well and and every time he's been up even as he's been trying to get past these injuries the the problems were at the plate like he was not a liability out in the field and then the new guy rosario from minnesota and left i I think he he, i think he plays a decent defensive outfield position i mean they what's it who's who was your starter in center field it was mercado um, mercado he's again i so you basically a good defensive player yeah, you have two center fielders in Mercado and Zimmer out there manning two of the three positions. And if Rosario is your one outfielder to produce offensively and he's the only one in the, in the field that's maybe a question mark defensively, then okay, you've got a pretty good defensive outfield. Okay, good. Well, I feel like we're going to move on from the Indians tonight. Much better mood than we did last week. So I'm happy about that because I do think defensively they should be good. The offense is going to be the question mark no matter how you cut it. I guess next week we can talk about DH and see where they're going to get some some runs from there hopefully uh, and we still got to hit the bullpen at some point but for tonight i would say it's a solid defensive infield uh, it's a good defensive outfield and if there's a way for them to keep games close and keep them low scoring with decent pitching and good defense maybe they'll be better than we're expecting right now we'll move on to a topic now that i'm not sure if this is a home topic a road topic or an off the field topic johnny manzel and josh gordon are going to be reunited in the fan controlled football league they were teammates together on the browns in 2014 so let's Take a quick flashback to 2014 Brown season. That year in 2014, they lost games to teams quarterbacked by Blake Bortles, Ryan Mallett, and Kyle Orton. But they did beat the Steelers once that year. The Browns were 7-4 and four after 11 games that season and then lost the last five games of the year. That was, was, a, <laughs> yeah, that was a, a Mike Pettin coach team. For the a limited amount of time Manziel got to play that year, he didn't play much, but he completed five passes to Josh Gordon for 66 yards that season. So, Phil, do you think Manziel and Gordon can recreate that magic in the fan-controlled football league? Five completions for 66 yards? Yep. No touchdowns. Oh, yeah, then definitely. They, they can recreate that. It, it, may, it might take three games. <laughs> You know, but uh, they can recreate that. I, I I can't imagine the defensive players they're going to be going up against are quite to the level that they faced in fourteen. Now, now these guys are what? I mean, that's seven years ago, so I'm sure they're not as. Uh, in Gordon's case, he was he was dominant. In Manziel's case, he was not. So maybe Manziel right. is the same and Gordon is worse. So yeah, it might take three games to get five completions in 66 yards. Chuck, shouldn't Josh Gordon just absolutely crush the fan controlled football league? <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He should. He's always like this physical freak of nature. And why wouldn't he be if you put him indoors on turf where the fields only, I think one pass they could do 66 yet, right? Is the field even 60 yards long I don't in think indoor so. football? Right. <laughs> yeah. So is this yes. arena? Is this arena football? Yeah, it's indoor. I, it's a much smaller field. So I don't know if it's the same dimensions as the arena league was, 
but yeah, what? it's really small and you're right. Like one pass is you can go the entire length of the field without any trouble in the air. What, what makes it fan controlled? I think you get to like call plays. Like you've got to join the <laughs> league. <Yeah>. Yes. Then, <laughs> wait a minute. I need to re-answer them because I'm going to start calling plays. Like, no, no, no. Throw it to Gordon. Throw it to Gordon. <laughs> Uh, it's probably worth checking out. I, every once in a while on SportsCenter, they have highlights from yeah. this league, although I don't know if it's on TV anywhere. I think maybe you've got to watch the games online or something, and you've got to join to do it, which is maybe not in the budget for the show right now. You think Freddie Kitchens is texting in plays? Is he involved in this? Like He's, trying to, he's like, I can do <laughs> it. Farmer. I can prove it. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, whoever, whoever started the league, God bless him, but whoever owns this team, I'm sure it's the same person who started the league. It's somewhat ingenious, right, to have Johnny Manziel and Josh Gordon because all they've gotten is publicity about it yeah. when no eyes would have ever watched this stuff. Right. Unless, you know, like this, that sounds like something that would be here in Erie, Pennsylvania, like some sort of league that is a bunch of guys who play d3 college and are selling used cars now but they play football so to have two like super high caliber named athletes on one team is pretty impressive that they can get people to talk about it well i don't know if it's impressive for manzel and josh <laughs> gordon to be seven no. years out of the nfl <laughs> i'm not saying for them i'm just saying whoever because my guess it was a marketing guy not a gm who came up with the idea of signing both those dudes to play for their team they're trying yeah. to sell tickets and get eyes on them sure but i think i want josh gordon on my fan-controlled football league team because he's got to be by far the most talented dude on that field i mean he was he was ridiculous. Uh, Manziel was not. All right, fellas, that's all I have for our at-home segment. Why don't we take our first break, and then we'll come back and hit the road. Vaccines are great for defense, but sometimes the best defense is a good offense. That's why we here at Unprofessional and Unprepared are joining the Punch COVID in the Nuts campaign. Seriously, if you knew one guy who ruined your 18-year wait to see your favorite team play in the playoffs canceled all concerts, and made you homeschool your kids, you wouldn't just try to stay six feet away from that guy. You would punch that guy in the nuts. The time has come to treat COVID like the D-bag that it is. We understand there may be questions, like how do you know COVID even has nuts? Viruses like COVID are tiny. How do we find it? Is it good enough to just punch someone in the nuts if they cough? The answer to that one, by the way, is no. For the rest of your questions, we have a team of doctors and scientists working on answers and designing tiny boxing gloves 24 hours a day. You can track their progress and find important meetup information at www.covidnutpunch.com. Let's join forces to give COVID that awful pain in the abdomen we know will end this pandemic. Become a member of the Punch COVID in the Nuts campaign today. Welcome back for segment two. We'll go on the road, fellas. And by far the biggest national news story this week was Tiger Woods he was in a very serious car accident earlier in the week. It, by all accounts, sounds like he has been through some surgery. He is obviously not in any life-threatening danger at this point, but there really hasn't been much information about what his condition exactly is and, and what his prognosis is going forward, at least in golf. This is a guy who is probably the most or one of the most dominating athletes we've ever seen. And we see bad choices and bad luck maybe stop short what is already an amazing career, but maybe could have been something even bigger. His run of dominance really ended in August of 09. That's when he lost the PGA championship to Y.E. Yang. It was the first time he had ever lost a 54-hole lead in a major. By November 09, the scandal um, involving his wife starts. 2014, he has his first back surgery. 
And then for about four years, he's just in and out with different surgeries and trying to make comebacks that keep starting and stopping. He finally does get the comeback in 2018, 2019. Obviously, he wins the Masters. It's an amazing story. 2020, he has another back surgery in December, and now he has this very violent car accident. He is currently tied with Sam Snead for all-time wins on the tour, but he's still three behind Jack Nicholas for total majors. At this point, do we view Tiger Woods as a tragic figure in sports? I don't know, right? Because us, most of it is because of his own doing. You know, the stuff with his wife, the addiction, not that that's his own doing because you know, but either way, no, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean there, there's, there's, there's a, tr there's always something very tragic about somebody who's that talented who can't, and I'm saying this and it doesn't sound right coming out of my mouth who can't realize their full potential, but right. didn't he, I mean, he was better than everyone for so long that I don't know if we expected him to continue to be as dominant for 10 years after that, but I don't know if I can see him as tragic. He accomplished so much, not only on the golf course, but opened up that game to a demographic that had no interest in playing it, or not even just that, not even an urban demographic. It, it caused a lot of kids at a very young age to say, Hey, I want to start golfing when probably when we were our age, did you guys want to golf at seven or eight? I, I mean, I didn't, but yeah. I assume a lot of kids wanted to be like Tiger Woods instead of like Michael Jordan. When we were kids, I don't think you could call him tragic. I think it's tragic that, that he could have rewritten every probable record book if he would not have gotten the injuries and the back surgeries and his body broke down. Phil, what about you? Yeah, I don't, I don't think he, it's tragic. I think um, forget everything he's he's sustained since 2009 to derail his career. Had he up and retired in 2009, unexpectedly, like none of, no one would have seen that coming. But if he did it, a la Jim Brown or, or Barry Sanders kind of thing, we would put this guy as the best golfer to ever walk this planet and deservedly so. He didn't do that. And he went forward at a time where you're looking at someone like Tiger Woods in a sport where you can still be dominant well into your late 30s and maybe even in your early 40s. And then he just started to suffer all these setbacks, be it physical, you know, on the course, off the course, in his, in his personal life, all these kind of things. Quite honestly, it's amazing that man has been able to golf, period since his first back surgery, <laughs> let alone four more, you know, I mean, I know he just had his fifth, but that leads me to believe that he returned to the golf course, at least after four back surgeries. Yes. Right. Yeah. That's and impressive. knee surgery too. Right. And, yeah, and yeah. Ankle like, surgery, I think as well. And so all of a sudden it, he was so successful so early in his career and so often <laughs> that he amassed this, the huge list of majors and, and all these championships that no one ever thought that he could keep up that pace, but it was almost academic that he would set all the records because he just had time on his side, right? Like he was going to, he was yeah. going to continue to be a decent golfer for another decade. And all he had to do was win three more majors. Like, Oh, that's a given. And then all these things kind of catch up. And I, I don't, I don't see him touching the major record now. I, I can't imagine. Boy, I don't know if we see him play real competitive right. golf again. I mean, he's already a wreck and I have no idea what the injuries mean that he sustained in this accident, yeah. but I can't believe at his age and with the problems he's already had physically, he's going to be able to do that again. And I was a guy who in 2014, 2015, 2016 was still saying, no, I still think he can do it. He just gets his body right. And you can play good competitive golf until your early forties. He will find ways to win. He'll find ways to do it. I don't think that window could possibly be open anymore. He's in a situation similar to Alex Smith, where right now, 
right now he's got to hope he can regain the use of his leg. Can I walk normally? That's the very first hurdle for him in these coming months. And then it's, okay, how does, how does the physical recovery go? And it's Tiger Woods. So he is one of those individuals that he's going to push himself and, and maybe fail, but push himself nonetheless to try to get back. But I agree. I don't know. I, it wouldn't surprise me if we never saw him golf again, certainly if we never saw him golf at a competitive level. And on the other side of that coin, it wouldn't necessarily surprise me if there's a person to come back from this and go out there and win a couple more PGA Tour championships. It might be Tiger Woods. Yeah, like, okay. I don't know that he's winning majors, but you know he yeah. might come out and be competitive again too. I do view him as like a tragic tale. I mean, he's another one of these guys who is a, he's basically a child star that grew up in his industry, did it better than most. I mean, we know actors and musicians and, you know, other athletes who haven't been able to handle the pressure of the entire world watching when they're 19 or 20 years old and they become professionals. And he did it really well for a long time, but I put him a little bit in that, that Griffey Jr. category where his body just failed him and you get into like a car accident like this where you're lucky to be alive when you walk out of it but it just seems like it's the end of the road for a guy that we've been watching since we were in college do this it's been an amazing run do do either of you guys have you have you followed tiger enough that you have a favorite tiger moment from his career i think mine would be when he laid waste to the field at the masters yeah any obstacle you put in front of me it means nothing like 1997 masters yeah. like you you literally have to change golf courses to accommodate my game to make it more challenging to me that's like basically kick down any door nobody would come near me i just destroyed the greatest golf course on earth in the greatest tournament on earth that to me is probably my favorite memory of him yeah what about you phil for so many reasons uh you know the the iconic fist pump kind of victory pose that you know that that was tiger i agree i guess more of a a general sense that this man dominated his sport at the highest level to such a degree that the sport itself had to start making changes otherwise people would probably stop watching although that wouldn't happen like people would have tuned in to see him lay waste to the field yeah, because he was exactly. the way he was doing it yeah. you know but at a certain point like all right no one can compete with him. And that lasted for, for quite some time. That was dominance. You know, you, you brought this up last week or it's like to watch greatness. You can be, I, I've never considered myself a golf fan, but I would tune in all the time to see, all right, what, what's tiger doing this week? Like, how's yeah. he, yeah. how's he, you know, here's a, here's a guy that's basically our age, you know, at laying waste to all these people when we were, like you said, when we were 20 and now when we were 40 and, you know, all these yeah. kind of things. So it's yeah. amazing. My favorite was the 2008 U.S. Open. He beat Rocco Mediate and it was the last major he won before this 2019 Masters that he pulled off late in his career. He had to play a full extra round because they don't do like a one or two hole playoff. You play a full 18 hole playoff to win the U.S. Open. So it was being played on a Monday. And Tammy and I had flown with friends to Hawaii, gotten there on Sunday. And Monday was this beautiful sunny day. And I told Tammy, I'm not going outside. I'm staying in (laughs) the hotel. I'm watching every hole. And that was like Tiger's leg was messed up. He's basically playing golf on one leg and found a way to beat that guy. And I kept telling her, like, it's no big deal. Let's watch this amazing guy do this amazing thing. And we're in Hawaii. It'll be sunny every day. We're here for like a week. It'll be fine. We never saw the sun. (laughs) The weather was terrible. The rest of the week, we wasted the one really good day we had. I don't think it was wasted at all. It was 
like one of Tiger's <laughs> great moments, and it was a lot of fun to watch. We'll move on from Tiger and obviously wish him the best and a speedy recovery. And let's play a little Did You Know? Did you know that they were playing a college basketball season this year? I did, yeah. I watched a little bit of the Ohio State-Michigan game last week. I did not know, however, that Ohio State was that high ranked or Michigan at that point. All right, Chucky, can you name me three teams in the top ten? Right now, I can say still Ohio State-Michigan, Gonzaga. All right, not bad. Bay- That's three. Baylor is Baylor in the top ten. Team? Baylor is yep. yep. Baylor in the top ten. Is Creighton in the top ten? <laughs> no, no. Damn it, Creighton. Creighton is Creighton. Like, no, that's Creighton. Who's that guy? <laughs> um, so some of the storylines right now as we kind of head into March Madness, Gonzaga is number one. They're undefeated. They have had twenty-one straight double-digit wins. There are four Big Ten teams that are ranked in the top ten right now: Michigan, Ohio State, Illinois, and Iowa. There are no ACC teams in the top oh. ten right now. Phil, as you know, you're stepping in tonight because Tommy had some family stuff to take care of. This is actually a question for him that I felt like he could answer. I don't know if you can or not. Does Ohio State have a shot in this year's tournament? Well, it's funny you bring that up because I was just talking to Burke's proctologist this week (laughs) about about Ohio State. (laughs) I'm going to answer this as if I was Tom Burke, and then I'll circle back and answer it like a normal person. As Tom Burke, they're going to win the whole thing. They're stacked perhaps the greatest college basketball team one through 12 that we've ever seen <laughs> tip the ball off. Now a sane person, uh, I don't know that I qualify for that either, but at least it's not, not a big uh, as Ohio state fan as Berkey. I, I think they have a, a shot like college basketball. And I say this for this reason, you know, a year ago, my little school was ranked third in the country and looking like they could compete for a national championship, you know, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong. Duke is unranked. Uh, that's, absurd. So Ohio State could absolutely run through this tournament and hoist the championship trophy because I I feel like college basketball isn't the basketball of certainly when we were in college, maybe even 10 years or even five years ago. It it seems like there's, there's so much opportunity for any of these teams. If they get the right mix of talent and cohesiveness as a team, they can just run through that tournament. And Ohio State certainly has that without a doubt. Chuck, What's your bracket strategy going to be going into March Madness this year? It's uh, usually what it is every year. Fuck Kansas. (laughs) That's pretty much it. I hate Kansas. Uh, Every time I've ever picked them to go deep, they do not. Every time I don't pick them to go deep, they do. So my strategy, not knowing there were four Big Ten teams ranked in the top 10. So maybe my strategy will to be have those Big Ten teams go a little deeper. What's your strategy for filling out your bracket going to be? especially if you don't know more than a couple of teams that are in the top 10. I don't know. I, I think my strategy in, in these recent years is all I have to do is finish ahead of the last place person so I don't wear the cat tank. Every year I fill out the bracket and I feel like, oh man, I have too much too much chalk all the way into the Sweet 16 and then the Elite Eight because I don't know enough about these teams. I'm thinking, well, they're seeded one for a reason. Like, yeah. you know, here, here we go. <laughs> I, can't, I can't bring myself to have this 10 seed upset the one seed. And I just, I, I don't know. So I, I think this year... Um, my strategy typically is I'll, I'll pick a couple tens to beat a couple sevens. I'll pick, a, you know, one upset of a three seed early on. And, and then from there, it's walk with the chalk until uh, you determine one of the top 10 teams to win it all. I'm going to have to work on whatever I'm doing because I think I'm the only two-time Cat Tank winner. I suppose that before the tournament starts, we'll do a whole preview episode and we can explain to our listeners what the Cat Tank is for and and how, how we handle the tournament every year. Uh, let's move on and talk a little more baseball. I read earlier this week that Albert Pujols is not sure if he will play after 2021. He's currently 41 years old. We are going into this season, the final year 
of his contract, one that we have constantly argued is something that you're supposed to avoid. I decided to take a deep dive into Albert Pujol's stats today and decide whether or not we are right to crap on this contract the way we have. Albert Pujols in St. Louis for, I think, nine years. He batted over 300 every year, except for the last year he was there when he batted 299. In 2006, it was probably his best season. He had 49 home runs, 137 RBIs, 92 walks, and he batted 331. Then he moves to LA as a free agent. He never hit more than 285, but he had a bunch of years in like those 280, 275 range. He only hit 40 home runs once, but he did hit more than 34 times in his years with the Angels. Um, he drove in 100 runs four times while he was with the Angels. And from 2016 to 2019, which is really kind of like a legitimate way to look at the tail end of that contract, because I don't think it's really fair to count last year because it was such a shortened season. But from 16 to 19, he averaged 24 home runs, 95, 95 RBIs, and he batted an average of 250 during those last few years. Now, his war between 2016 and 2019 was essentially zero, which made him an average player. Were we right or wrong that this deal was a bad deal? Phil, go ahead. Get the stat department on the on the line here. How many championships did the Angels win during that time? Not a one. Mm -hmm. So uh, that plays a role in it, I suppose. I, I guess. So how many how many total years was he with the Angels? So this is his tenth season with the Angels, and he was nine with the Cardinals. Something like I think that. is what I you said. Yeah. So so almost split evenly, I guess. Regardless, I mean that's pretty almost close. Split evenly. Yeah. yeah. So that that contract when it was signed ten years ago was signed based on his previous nine years, which he was on pace. To, I mean, he was just unstoppable. He was ridiculous. He was a, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, he and he he's still a Hall of Famer, of course. It just the, the idea that he could keep up that production is ridiculous. Like that can't happen. But maybe they didn't accept expect that, and they thought, okay. For 10 years, if we get that kind of production for five of the 10, we're okay. And based on what you just said, and I was listening really intently and trying to remember these things, um, <laughs> based on what you just said, I think there were at least five really good years in there, but nothing compared to his best years in St. Louis. And again, he was never the key to that team winning anything. I'm going to land on the side that not a great contract. What about you, Chucky? I would I would do the same, right? I don't you didn't get the same player, but I can see why. I mean, I remember why he got that money and it felt mm -hmm. like he deserved that money back then because his blueprint leading up to that said what you're saying, he's going to hit over 300. He's going to have 125 plus RBIs, yep. but from your stat line like he he didn't reach that. Do you say more than once? I mean, I know he he never hit 300. Right. For them, so, never higher than 285 and kind of a mixed bag of 30 home run seasons and, you know, 100 RBI seasons. Yeah. So I would say it was not worth it, but the precedent was you're paying for what he's done for the previous five to seven years. Like the same thing with Alex Rodriguez. You got those huge contracts and there's no way you can live up to that. You can't live up to that. So I would say no, no, it was not a great contract. I don't know if I think it's as bad as I always thought it was, because if you look at that last few years, 24 home runs, 95 RBIs, 250 batting average, those aren't bad numbers. It's it's I think Miguel Cabrera has been worse. Like, I feel like his last few seasons, you can't even look at him when he's batting. It's, it's just horrible to see. So maybe Pujols isn't as bad as I thought it was. Why don't we move on to some tech talk while we're on the road? Chuck, you know that you can purchase a highlight of Zion Williams blocking a shot for $250,000 on something called NBA Top Shot? 
I do know this. I know this because the entire card collectible market has exponentially grown in the last like two to three years. It's almost insane. I could talk about this for like an hour because I got super interested in it because, well, I collected a lot of cards as a kid and we all saw the value of those cards be worthless at this point. Um, Are you sure? (laughs) <laughs> well, well, uh, again, I can probably talk. My more. Charles Nagy rookie card is that is that <laughs> worth not nothing? Gonna, worth like nothing. if you have if you have a Jordan rookie, uh, you could retire if you want. You know, like if it's in halfway decent shape. And to see what's happened, it's it's kind of insane, right? So it all started with the Jordan stuff and seeing his card values kind of inflate. And then you saw these other legendary guys like Wayne Gretzky's rookie card, all that. So what Top Shot is is basically like a digital highlight. That that's what you own. Some of them are transferable. Some of them are not. And what the resale, basically, they did it over this weekend where you could buy packs for $9. You can buy a pack. I don't know how if it's just one thing's in a pack. It doesn't tell you. I think they made over $30 million this weekend just selling $9 packs for a digital digital yeah. highlight, basically, right? It's insane to me because I see no value in that. Like, I, I don't, but maybe everything has progressed, right, with technology. So why wouldn't card collecting if that if that's what it is if it becomes digital it's just so different to me to think that i can't look at it in a hard plastic or in a booklet (laughs) like i have to go to a website and say oh i own this that and some of those things are selling for over millions of dollars some of those like top shot ones it's ridiculous so it's basically card collecting meets bitcoin because it's a blockchain protected thing where only you know, 90 people in the world get to own a highlight of Zion Williams blocking a shot. There's part of this that we look at it and we think this is stupid, but I don't know. Phil, do you think we look at it and think it's stupid because we're old? Yes. Um, (laughs) I think that's part of it because I think think we're on the precipice right now of talking ourselves out of thinking this is stupid because there's a market for it. So why is it stupid? Yeah. You know, we just don't understand it. So I guess we're mixing our description here a bit, right? It, It Clearly, there are people out there willing to pay ridiculous amount of money for some of these things. So if I looked at it as an investment, like at some point in my baseball and football card collecting career, I looked at it as more an investment rather than I'm a kid and I want to get all the Browns and Indians and Cavs right. or whatever, yeah. then this isn't stupid because I could pay $9 and in that pack, I might get something that I could then sell to someone for $250,000 or whatever it is. That, it still sounds crazy to me, even as I say it. Uh, it's like the one, the one guy, whoever that collector was, that paid ridiculous money for the one copy of the latest Wu Tang album. That makes yeah. no sense. It's music, and no one can hear it. Uh, he, he's not allowed to distribute it. He's not, you know. It's like, the, but the idea was, I have all this money. This is going to be a hot commodity. The resale, it's one one off. It's a one off. That guy could turn around and sell that probably for right now for twice as much as he paid for it even at, at auction. So yeah. I guess along those lines, like there's if there's value there, it may come crashing down any day. But so it's not stupid. I just don't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> like a side note, that that Wu Tang CD, he could never resell it. That was I know. Part of the, yeah, it was part of, and it was the guy who went to jail. He was the pharmaceutical yeah. guy. He was the asshole uh, that like uh, the other dude who jacked up. Yep, yeah, yeah, percent. It was that guy. So Chuck, what would you pay? for the top shot highlight of Shaq taking down a backboard when he was playing for the Magic. Oh, wow. $12.74. Oh, okay. Huge, Not I'm bad. a huge Shaq fan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Phil, what would you pay for the highlight of Craig Elo's layup that preceded the shot against the Bulls in the playoffs? 
Penny. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I mean, what? But like, for Michael Jordan, that Craig Elo layup would have been one of the great moments in Cleveland sports. Right. So that leads me to believe that <laughs> that taking that, you know, electronic footage, like I can't possibly trade that to someone for something better or get some money back for it. That's a terrible investment. I'm trying to really understand this. <laughs> All right. Well, I, before we started tonight, I actually Bitcoined a clip of LeBron James's block in game seven in the 2016 finals. Go ahead, fellas, and bid how much you want to pay me for it. Can I get a dollar? I would go a dollar on that. Yeah, I'll right. give you, I got one dollar. I'll give you two dollars. Right. I'll give you two. two. <laughs> I would go pretty, I, I guess I would go pretty high on that because it's such an iconic moment, right? not only in our, on our history in Cleveland history, but in NBA history, like yeah. that block will be forever a highlight for 50 to a hundred years. So if I am the digital owner of that, I think it'd be worth something. On that note, fellas, why don't we take our final break and we'll head off the field. This week's episode of unprofessional and unprepared is brought to you by the chubby. Looking for a good time, but afraid that COVID-19 might not be a hoax? Worried that your standard condom or good timing isn't enough to keep you safe from a virus that may be transmitted through up-close indoor contact with someone new? Then you need the Chubby, the first-ever contraceptive mask for your main man. The Chubby is lightweight, breathable, and easy to put on even when you are in a rush. The Chubby is also fully guaranteed to keep your little buddy COVID-free as long as it's worn properly. COVID may be wreaking havoc on our economy and mental health, but it doesn't stand a chance against the chubby. So get a chubby, mask up and down, and hook up with confidence. Chubby is not approved by the FDA or any other respectable scientific organization. It will not provide protection for any known or unknown sexually transmitted diseases or pregnancy. Fellas, welcome back to our final segment. We go off the field, and I've got really, really good news for both of you. Bruce Springsteen is a free man. Yes. <laughs> Pled guilty this week to just drinking a little tequila on a beach in Jersey. He did. It finally came out as part of his plea that he had only blown a 0.02 on the breathalyzer. So he's way below the legal limit. So it wasn't like Springsteen was out there drunk driving, but still good to have that behind him. Chuck, it was some tense moments going into, you know, the news of the plea agreement and stuff like that. So where do you think? he fell prior to the announcement on the celebrity incarceration threat matrix. And if you would allow me to remind you a little bit about the threat matrix. Um, you're familiar with the terrorism threat matrix that came out after September 11th, right? It's got like four colors. And Indeed. It, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So the celebrity incarceration threat matrix starts at green, which is the celebrity is never going to jail. That's the Tom Hanks level. Then it moves up to yellow where the celebrity should have gone to jail. That's the Justin Bieber level. Orange is the celebrity spent a little time in jail. That's the Martha Stewart level. All the way up to red, which is the celebrity is 100% definitely in jail and should stay there. That's the Bill Cosby level. <laughs> so where did where, where were you feeling before Springsteen made his plea deal and avoided jail time? I was, I think I was at yellow until all the details kind of came out because it made it sound like, I know you you think he's one of the coolest men on earth and that's the truth because it sounds like basically a bunch of fans saw him and he did a shot with him and that that's what yeah. kind of happened and like some cop security guy kind of saw it happen and blew him under so until i got the details yellow like maybe you know he's losing that jeep endorsement that played during the super bowl <laughs> this could really ruin him but then he gets the obama podcast 
Allsgate. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. we're we're way below. That's some three, pretty right? stiff competition for us, by the way. The Springsteen Obama podcast. What a bunch worried. of jerks. <laughs> I, I gotta tell you, I, I so I listened to it, and the best, not the best part of it, the best part of it relative to our podcast was when it started. Their audio quality was terrible. I'm like Gerber's better than this, <laughs> and then it picked up really quickly. I'm like, oh, oh, <laughs> yeah, it's good. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think when they they got into his studio and yeah. I think my favorite part of it was at one point Obama was talking and I think Springsteen was just like strumming a guitar behind him. And I'm like, this is my dream to just be like bullshitting about my life and having Springsteen play background music for it live (laughs) was incredible. Uh, So Phil, Bruce is a rock star. DUI is not too far off the beaten path in that industry. Why do you think it was such big news that Springsteen was arrested for a DUI? I think it was such big news because it happened right after everyone just sat through the Jeep commercial during the Super Bowl <laughs> and, you know, I, and the news cycle these days, right? Like any little thing that happens to someone as, as popular as Bruce Springsteen is, is headline news on, uh, you know, depending on whatever site you're clicking on. But uh, even if he blew over 0.08, is this really a big deal in the larger scheme of things? I mean, I, I, I don't think so. He's human. Uh, he'd be the fir- honestly, he'd be the first to admit the mistake he made. So uh, there you go. I think he's made the leap from rock star to something bigger in in our culture. You know, he's no longer just a guy who like leads a band. This is a guy who can sit down with a former president and talk about the world and the issues that are facing it. So I think he's. I think the reason why it was a big deal is because I don't know if a lot of the country really views him as a rock and roll star anymore, as much as a guy in our culture who has some wisdom and has some character and has some history with our country that shouldn't be doing things like drinking and driving. Let's move on to things that are turning 30. Anything that happened in 1991 is 30 years old now, which covers a whole lot of things. But I think most importantly for us, it's 30 years since a lot of us became friends for the first time because it would have been the fall of 91 was when we started high school. So I know that in the group, there are definitely... Some people have been friends longer, you know, Bonhart and Miller and Shantz went to St. Helens. They knew each other long before we got to high school. Tersic and I have known each other since we were little kids because our older brothers were friends for most of us. And for the group as a whole, obviously, 30 years ago this fall was when we started to become friends and get to know each other. Throughout this year, we're going to, from time to time, hit some topics of things that were going on in 1991 and catch up on some of that because for as much time as we spend celebrating you know, this is the year we graduated from high school. Here's our 10th anniversary or 20th, you know, reunion, whatever those things are. doesn't seem like we ever spend much time focusing on when it started. And that was a lot of fun. So let's hit some movies that came out in 1991. Point Break, What About Bob, Silence of the Lambs. And I think the biggest one was Boys in the Hood came mm. out in 91. So Phil, yeah. scale of one to five, one being when Tommy Boy took over Callahan Auto, Five being the moment Ray Kinsella realizes the catcher is his dad. How much did you cry when you found out Ricky died after getting the 700 on his SAT? Oh, five for sure. Jeez. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I still can't. Like, I know that scene's coming up. And when I rewatch that movie, I'm like, oh, no, maybe I should turn away. Can I get another drink? I can't watch this again. (laughs) I, I think when I was 15, I couldn't imagine anything more tragic 
than what happened, man. That that was just awful. What about you, Chuck? I would say, yeah, it was it was a five. It was heartbreakingly unexpected watching it the first time, and it still hurts. Like Phil said, I have a tough time watching it when it happens. That's crazy that I'm just realizing, yeah, like 30 years later, I still yeah. feel the same way I did when I was that young. Like, yeah, I, I wanna, can't I watch it. Cry. Yeah, no. Some of the albums that came out in 1991, Nevermind, the Metallica Black album, Use Your Illusions 1 and 2, Michael Jackson's Dangerous, a name that doesn't hold up all that well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he was kind of just laying it out there for you, though. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> Blood Sugar Sex Magic by Chili Peppers. 10 by Pearl Jam. Out of Time by R.E.M. Low End Theory came Ooh. out in 91. You know, just so we don't leave her out. Eagle When She Flies was released in 1991. It was the 31st solo studio <laughs> album released by Dolly Parton. <laughs> <laughs> so chuck which one of those albums released in 1991 is the most important never mind nirvana it's hands no down. doubt at all about that there is there is no doubt about it it changed the course of rock music forever it destroyed every piece of glam rock that ever existed so all the, like poison and warrant and those bands faster pussycat they were done forever because <laughs> nirvana yeah they're a great band uh but yeah once that once that album came out it changed the game period something that sounded would have sounded so heavy at the time became accessible to everyone everybody liked that album old people young people it didn't matter. Uh, to me, it changed the face of rock. Uh, and as we get farther away from it, maybe not in a great way, but uh, it's the most important album of that year to me. So I love the diversity of the movies and the music that came out in 91. I, I think it's crazy that Nevermind comes out the same year as the Use Your Illusion albums by Guns N' Roses. I, I couldn't wrap my head around the fact that that was, and, and Michael Jackson's Dangerous. Like those three things came out in the same year. That's crazy. Phil, do you think something special was happening then? Or, or is this going on now and we're just too out of the mainstream to know that it's happening? I'm going to stop blaming our age on things. Um, so I, I think not on everything, but certainly on these kind of topics. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, I suppose it, it could be happening now, but we won't know. We don't know it at the time, right? We don't know it yet. Uh, I can't think like to Chuck's point, I can't think of anything that came out recently that created a culture change in music like Nevermind did. And, and you knew fashion. that when music yeah. and fashion. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. And it was one of those things, too, that it set music on its ear because no one saw that coming, especially out of the Pacific Northwest. They're like, wait a minute. Like, what? Like, yeah. rock, rock groups come out of L.A. and, you know, you know, this isn't what this is. Anyway, it, to answer your question, something similar to this can be going on today where maybe five years, 10 years from now, we realize like, oh, in 2021, these four or five really, really good albums came out at the same time. I, I, I don't feel it in the moment, but, uh, and I don't know, I, I can't recall feeling it in the moment in 91 either, other than the, the whole nevermind thing. Like, wow, this is, this is something different. What about you, Chuck? Most music now is disposable. Uh, it does not stand the test of time, no matter what genre it is. It could be rock. It could be country. Uh, it could be hip hop. It's become disposable. And I don't think that's our old age talking and saying, well, our music was better because our parents used to say their music was better. There's nothing I think that has come out in the last year that I'll be listening to five years from now, let alone 10 years from now. The way music delivery 
is delivered now has changed. Obviously, we've talked about that during the pod as well. It's easier to get your music exposed to a bigger audience now than back in 1991, but it's become so fragmented, maybe nobody ever hears it. You can put it on Spotify, you can put it on SoundCloud. There's almost too much, right? There, there's nothing out there that, that I've heard that just blew me away. Like, I can tell you the first time I saw the video for Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yeah. I can tell you. The first time I heard Metallica Black front to back in the NDCL weight room. And I was like, man, <laughs> geez, this is, I, I never really liked Metallica until right now or any of those albums. And then know? Coach Has just started screaming it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. The cultural shift in music has changed so much that there's, there's a lot of positives to it. It's easily accessible. There's not a barrier to listening to music like there was when, when we were younger that you either had to buy a CD or, or listen for a song to come on the radio. You can get it right now. So that's the better part of it. But the creatively, I just don't think it's anywhere near as good as it was then. All right. I think it's hard to to see something now that matches up with that list I gave because you have you have some amazing bands doing their seminal work. I mean, Out of Time is like REM's biggest album ever. Blood Sugar Sex Magic was like the album that put the Chili Peppers. Those are gigantic albums that I think disagree with Phil Summers. I think we knew at the time that that was pretty amazing stuff. I think we knew that this was something different. I will blame our age because I just think this is the way it is every generation. And my parents thought, you know, low end theory was shit. They did not care. One did bit your parents tried- listen to low end theory? This is fantastic. <laughs> probably not. They probably heard me listening to it from my room or something like that, but it wasn't as good as the Beatles or Led Zeppelin or something like that, that they were listening to, or even my dad was a huge Motown guy. So, you know, he was always into that stuff. I just think there's an age factor to it that we, once you reach a certain age, you're, you're not tapped into something big or something great that's changing. But I was surprised to see 1991 had that whole list. I mean, that was a bigger year musically than I would have ever guessed. Moving on from that we'll close things out tonight let's talk about tommy burke and his weight loss journey tom couldn't be here tonight but he did let me know that he's down uh, a total of 30 pounds now all right nice, so nice big awesome. number for him that's awesome oh. we talked a little bit earlier in the week and he told me that he's out running 40s and he's got it down to four or five <laughs> now really really seeing the gains athletically from trimming the weight. And I did ask him today what he thought the hardest part of this process was for him right now. He says it's going to bed hungry at night and it makes it hard for him to fall asleep has been the biggest challenge he's had so far. So I told him that you guys would give him some tips on how to solve that. So go ahead. Drink Ooh, more man. water before you go to bed. <laughs> Fill up that tummy. Yeah. Yeah, you'll be, you'll, you'll fall asleep. You'll fall asleep, but you'll be up. You'll be up in four right. Yeah, yeah. irritating for most of the night. Yeah, right. Man, I, I think uh, maybe, uh, maybe he's already doing this, but a good, a good pile of, um, homeopathic melatonin you know like, let's start let's start taking <laughs> let's start taking some melatonin uh right before bed and see if that doesn't help you stay asleep what's the calorie count in melatonin phil zero zero we're good man oh yeah yeah this has to fit into the nutrisystem i think this is good well it's a good thing that we have a medical guy on the show to be able to give us something as positive as just a guy who has a hard time burn one out (laughs) well there's that you know there's that yeah yeah putting on a terrible movie maybe that might help him okay all good tips hopefully uh tommy will take it seriously and we can help him face down the biggest challenge of his weight loss journey but fellas We are out of time. I am out of questions. So have a great week and let's do this again real soon. Okay. Right on. Sounds good.
it was good. So yeah. it was good. It was, it was nice dinner and I ate way too much and got my push-ups out of the way before I went there. <laughs> good idea. Good idea. Oh, what was for dinner? If I missed it, uh, I was doing my push-ups. No, no. My mom, <clears throat> my mom makes, uh, her, her lasagna for me for my birthday every year and has been doing that since I was a little kid and told her that I thought her lasagna was the best lasagna ever. Very sweet. Which as a kid, I, I, you know, I probably didn't have any, other you didn't know any to, better. To, well, yeah. there was the only lasagna. You, you, know, also, you also thought your parents were the two coolest people ever because yeah. they were the only people right. you knew. Yeah. <laughs> but I come to find out in my life, like I truly do enjoy her lasagna better than any other lasagna and she makes the way she makes it i mean it's a traditional italian lasagna but she does uh she uses like bulk italian sausage um so it adds a little bit of like the italian spice to it rather than like ground meat or anything like that sure yeah um so it was delicious so you know bottle bottle of red wine and italian lasagna salad sounds like a billy joel song yeah We all had those harmonicas that attached to your head. Really nice. Really nice. That's awesome. Guys, you're a talented group over there. (laughs) Real fans pick real players and call the plays in real time. That's insanity. That is insane. That is you must insane. you must have to pay or something like that to get to call yeah. play. I'm sure it's not like yeah, everybody says, gets to do it. The website says join now. There are four teams in the league: the Glacier Boys, the Zappers, the Wild Aces, <laughs> and the Beasts. This sounds like an N64 unlicensed so, football game. <laughs> I hope, I hope, from a marketing perspective, that they mic these players up because how hilarious will it be when Johnny Manziel comes in the huddle and be like, "Son of a bitch." New Master 69 is calling the same play again, <laughs> and now I have to run this play. <laughs> like, I'm gonna get killed, you know. So, like, this that's is crazy. I'm gonna read this directly from their website. This is one of their news updates. It says, FCF teams up with Susan G. Komen. We've partnered with Susan G. Komen, the world's leading nonprofit source of funding for the fight against breast, to help raise funds for their life-saving work word cancer should be in there somebody i don't know who's in charge of the website like whose kid is running this <laughs> yeah, but they should yeah. probably they should probably fix that because who wants to fight against breast that's <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous um. <clears throat> That's that's crazy because I, I think to your point with that that pallet of '86 Fleer basketball, whoever buys the unopened, they're probably sitting there thinking like, "I'm going to not open any of these because the unknown yeah. potentially yeah. brings exactly. me more money yeah. than if I open them all yeah. and get three Michael Jordan rookie cards." Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I know I'm just blabbing here, but I I about shit my pants because um, I can remember being in grade school and I still. I'm not even going to include anything you're saying now. I'm going to stop you at, I just about shit my pants. That'll be the end of a segment. Edit edit before that and after it. I still have have some of my cards and hard plastics. A lot of that stuff I don't have anymore, right? Me too. Me too. So I'm looking, I'm on Twitter and it's about how insane the Jordan market is. And this card, it's sold or it was selling for over $1,800. And I'm like, I have that card. I have that card. It's not a card. It was Beckett 
like competitor lasted for like three things. It was another price guide. And there was a Jordan card in there that it's, he's in his baseball uniform. It's the, it's yeah. not even a legitimate card. Yeah. I'm like, I gotta go find this motherfucker. And I was so proud of like my 12 year old self for cutting it out. And it was, yeah. I put I put it in a hard plastic, but I cut it like a jizz. So I'm like, maybe if I list it on eBay, I'll get like 200 for it. But like, this, is, this is insane. It's insane. Oh, man. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, cut it like a jizz. Uh, yeah. <laughs> definitely, definitely staying in. <laughs> Never even, that doesn't even make sense. 